Welcome to the Lakeside Baptist Church Podcast. We pray you are blessed as you hear the Word of God today. For more information regarding Lakeside Baptist Church, please visit lakeside.asn.au. Thank you, Melissa, and thank you, everyone. It's good to be here this morning. Thank you for taking the time to pray. If you are new or visiting with us, that's something we do uh, once a month, just to spend some time praying as a a body of believers. Uh, My name is Anthony, one of the pastors here, Uh, so it's good to be here. If you're here personally or watching online, it's great. We are in a new series called uh, Good News Encounters in Acts, and that obviously links up to our theme of goodness for 2021. Let me tell you a story. I read this actually uh, only uh, last week in the Challenger newspaper. There's a great little testimony, a story about a guy named Antonio uh, Balgado. Antonio Balgado. Now, he uh, lived in Atlanta, Georgia, and he was a a, um, drug addict, lived on the streets for something like 15 years, crack addict, homeless, uh, would basically beg for money or break and enter to try to get money to, to kind of support his drug habit. Uh, and anyway, he tells this incredible story of one day, he's out the front of, uh, of a train station begging for money, and uh, these two people come up to him and say, mate, uh, they probably didn't say mate because they're in Australia, but they say, hey, buddy, uh, you, you need to go to hospital. You need to go to the hospital go and catch the train, quick, follow us, you, you need to go to hospital. And they kind of go into the, the train station, push the doors open, and Antonio's kind of trying to keep up with them and follow them, thinking, what, what's going on? And, and so he's yelling out to them, and he, and he too pushes through the doors of the train station. He's like, wait, wait, wait. And uh, all of a sudden, there's a police officer there. And the police officer's like, mate, what, what's going on? Why are you so distressed? He's like, I, I need to keep up with those two two. Uh, people, they, they said I have to go to the hospital, and the police officer's a little bit confused and said, well, there's, there's no one, you're, you're the only one that's walked through these doors, I stand here to, you know, guard these, so I'm not sure what's, what's going on, and he was like, oh, maybe it's all that stuff that I'm on, or, or whatever anyway, so he kind of leaves, and then he goes out to the front of the, the train station again, and he's continuing his begging, because he needs to get his next hit, uh, his next high, and uh, all of a sudden, about 20 minutes later, uh, someone else comes up to him, and, and gives him some money and actually uh, says, actually, I don't know if it was money or a train ticket, I think it was a train ticket, it says, here, you need to take this train ticket, you need to hop on the train uh, and go to the, the, the hospital. And uh, at about the same time, he started getting these chest pains and it was just like, you know, he's, he was like, oh man, it's starting to get this strong sensation of weight on his chest and, and he's for some reason felt, well, I'm just going to go to the hospital, this guy's given me the, 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 the ticket and he's turned around to say thank you and, and the guy's kind of like just disappeared. And anyway, he, he hops on the train and he finds himself uh, obviously on the train and he heads up to the, the hospital. He goes into the hospital and they're like, what's wrong? And in the midst of him basically arriving in the hospital, he has a heart attack. Um, this homeless street guy who'd been a drug addict for 15 plus years, he has this heart attack and it was just unbelievable that he was there. The doctors could do what they had to do and he survived the heart attack. And uh, actually from there, he then checked into a drug rehab uh, facility where he could get treatment for his drug addiction. And in there, he met this pastor and he started sharing the story with the pastor and the pastor was praying and he said, he said, I don't want to scare you or anything, but you know what? You, You tell me this story about these individuals. He said, they may have just been people and it may have just been coincidences Uh, but actually I think it may have been angels that were kind of guiding you to get to hospital to have this encounter to have this experience and right there in uh, that drug rehab facility uh, Antonio committed himself to the Lord he became a Christian Uh, he left uh, hospital or the rehab Uh, he got his life uh, back on track he got a job all that kind of stuff but he had a heart for homeless people for the people that were his people. And so he started collecting bread and he would take bread and, and to the place where he used to be and within 45 minutes all that bread was gone and he felt like, no, I need to do something. So he set up this foundation. Here's a picture of Antonio there. This is in Atlanta, Georgia. The I Care Foundation is what it's called. And today, you can check it out, he has seven full-time workers. 
He has two buildings, 17 freezers and two trucks. Uh, and actually, the, the picture on the left there is uh, during COVID. He, I was reading an article that during COVID, obviously, the, the, the need has been greater. Uh, but he, he says he has his passion to help people to share the gospel, but also to help meet their physical needs. You see, that's, that's, a, that's a good news story. The gospel is good news. And when people have their lives changed by the gospel or affected by the good news of Jesus, then they too can't not help but be goodness by sharing the good news, but living goodness in their community. And we see that story there in Antonio. And, and so today we start again our, our series called Good News Encounters in Acts. We're going to be looking through uh, Acts from about chapter 8 onwards, and we're going to see these incredible encounters that people have with the gospel, with Jesus. They hear about the good news, they hear the gospel, uh, and they respond. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about, uh, well, over the last seven or eight weeks, we've been talking about uh, a culture of goodness, developing a culture of goodness. What does it mean to have a culture of goodness? And, and a few weeks ago, we, we looked at one of the attributes of having a culture of goodness is the gospel, that we would be the people of the gospel, we'd be people of the good news, that we would live it, that we would show it, that we would proclaim it, that we would share it that the gospel and the good news are connected. Uh, sorry, the gospel and goodness are connected. That The good news is actually goodness. Jesus comes and he brings goodness, and that is really, really good news. And we looked at this concept of uh, a church community or a, a community of believers having uh, both or oh, two types of focus, an inward focus uh, and an outward focus. Now, both of these focuses or areas, being inward or outward, are actually biblical. The Bible talks about how we are to focus on ourselves as a local body of believers. There's numerous commands that we're to love one another and to do things and to care for each other. We're to grow, to be shaped like Jesus. We're to pray. We're to come together and, and be encouraged in, in this type of setting, this community. But then in smaller groups, life groups and pastoral care. And that is good and that is proper and that is biblical. But also we're to be outward focused, meaning we're to look outside of our church community into the community beyond, our neighbours, our work colleagues, our, 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 our uni friends, our school friends, our family members who don't know Jesus, who need to have a good news encounter, who need to experience the goodness of Jesus, that we should be focused. We don't want to just be a holy huddle, just looking after ourselves, but we also need to be outward focused. Jesus says, go and make disciples. So we've got this kind of, uh, both of these areas, and the idea is that we would kind of keep the plane flying nice and straight. Do you remember we covered this? Hands up if you remember, just checking to see if anyone was listening that week. Oh, a few people put their hands up. That's great. And the problem, though, is we are naturally uh, selfish. We, we tend to focus on, we don't need anyone to teach us really to focus on ourselves. And so if we just treat both outward and inward the same or focus on them the same, we, we're going to have a natural tendency to lean towards being inward focused. It's just normal. That's what we will do because when there's a pandemic, we're going to go and get toilet paper because we need it. So, so there's that inward focus we're just going to do it. So, so as a body of believers, how do we get around that? Well, we need to, I believe, we, we should have a greater focus on outward. That doesn't mean we ignore inward. It doesn't mean there's no pastoral care. It doesn't mean we're not equipping the saints. Absolutely we are. It just means that we have a slightly weighted and greater focus on outward, therefore keeping the plane nice and straight. I'd be a great pilot. Um, I wouldn't be able to see over the, the steering wheel, but I'd be a great pilot. So, so this is what it is. The good news, if we want to have a goodness culture, a culture of goodness, we want to be a people who share the good news, who live the good news, who um, show the good news. Who we, we just, that's what we do. To, to bring the gospel is to be people of goodness. And so this morning, we start this, we launch into this series of uh, Good News Encounters in Acts. And I'm really looking forward to it. We're going to be, like I said, covering a whole heap of uh, different encounters through the book of Acts. This morning, we start in Acts chapter 8, and we are, we're going to move. So buckle on. 
uh, to your seat. We're, we're going to move through this story. And you have to bring, up, bring your own application today. I'm not going to stop and give you too many application points. I, I want you to just kind of embed yourself in the story. It's a great story. Uh, I, will, I will kind of try to highlight aspects and bring some, some cultural aspects to it. But put yourself and think, well, what, what, is, what is this saying to me right now? Allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you. What, is, what am I gleaning from this story? Okay, uh, there's maybe some principles here for us, for you, uh, to be people of the good news, to be people of goodness. Background here, okay? Jesus has already ascended into heaven. The Holy Spirit has come into Jerusalem. Peter, who denied Jesus three times, who was hiding and crying, was scared for his own life, who denied Jesus, is now boldly preaching the gospel. So he stands up and he preaches the gospel. He, he says to the religious leaders that you killed Jesus, but that was all part of the plan, basically. And thousands, it says around three and a half thousand people, respond to the gospel. They become Christians. Three and a half thousand people plus become Christians that day. And, and they receive the Holy Spirit, and that is in, uh, manifested in the speaking of tongues. Now, in that actual account, the speaking of tongues is an actual language, glossia, the, like they, they're speaking a, a native language that people could understand. So it's like speaking Italian and Chinese and Burma, all these different languages being spoken, uh, which they didn't know how to speak. Uh, but they said yes to Jesus, and, and so there's this massive moving. And then from there... The gospel goes nuts. People start to become Christians left, right and centre. In Jerusalem this is. So this, this, this city, this religious capital of Judaism, people becoming Christians. And we see this right up to chapter 8, right before chapter 8. And so much so that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, are really, really scared because they thought they had dealt with Jesus, uh, but he just wouldn't stay dead. And actually, a Jesus that had resurrected and gone to heaven was actually harder to, to deal with than a Jesus in the flesh. And they're, they're kind of thinking, man, well, I wish he was just around and we didn't kill him. Uh, because now everyone's, everyone's kind of converting to Christianity and, and, and wanting to follow the, the people of the way. And so what do they do? They tighten the screws. The persecution starts. They send out the, the thugs to start rounding up the Christians and, and literally they start to take them and throw them in jail and get them to recant and, and turn on uh, their belief in Jesus, but they don't because they've experienced something that is, that is greater than life itself. And in, in chapter 7, we, we see a guy named Stephen who boldly preaches the gospel, who boldly uh, uh, says to the Sanhedrin, you guys, watch out. You guys, need a, you guys need Jesus as well. And what you've done is, is really, really bad. And, and they get so mad that they drag him out to the sit into front of everyone in the city and they stone him to death. They throw rocks at him. Bundis. Are you allowed to call them bundis? Bundis? Well, bundi was a pile of sand. We had fun with kids as bundis. Bam. Anyway, so, so, so but imagine dying by having rocks thrown at you. I could think of better ways to go than, than actually just standing there and uh, having rocks, boom, boom, hit you. I don't know, maybe if you got hit in the head and you're out, but gee, it would be. And, and we read in that account that Stephen just kind of looks up and, and the skies kind of open up and he's talking to, to God and, and God is basically saying, great work. And that is our first Christian martyr, Stephen. Doesn't run, doesn't hide, doesn't say take it away. He's just like, Jesus, take and the persecution starts. And this is where we pick it up from chapter 8. Right here it says this. On that day, great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered. Now, that word scattered, uh, it's tr from the Greek it's translated English scattered. But it literally means to scatter seed. And, and think of that, to scatter seed. Uh, the apostles uh, were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen. So some people, they just left the body there. But godly men grabbed him, buried Stephen, and mourned deeply for him. But Saul, 
Now, if you know your Bible, Saul is Paul. He'll become one of the, one of the greatest evangelists of Christianity. But right here, Saul began to destroy the church. And again, that word there, destroy, has this concept of an animal ripping into a piece of meat. Just he wants, he wants it gone. Uh, he wants Christians gone. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. This is such an encouraging message this morning. But this is real persecution. They've got someone like Saul who was rallying the religious leaders, coming after like a, like a wild animal chasing a piece of meat. He would kill them, he would throw them in jail, he would have them beaten up if they didn't denounce their Christianity. And, and then we see, so what we're seeing is here is that the church starts in Jerusalem. I think uh, one commentator, Wiesbus, says that the salt is being shaken out of the Jerusalem salt shaker. And Jesus referred to Christians as what? The salt of the earth. And Christianity starts in Jerusalem, but now the salt is being moved. That persecution is like wind, like the wind that when persecution comes and, and there's seed, the, the wind blows the seed and the seed goes wherever it goes. And what happens when the seed lands? It goes in the ground and, and it brings a harvest. And so this persecution is now blowing the Christians out of Jerusalem and it's going to bring a greater harvest. The persecution has come. And so, so let's have a look, just so you can get your kind of bearings. Here, here's a map and you can see Jerusalem, a little yellow dot there. Can everyone see that? That's where the, the, the Pentecost started and P Peter was preaching and thousands and this movement of Christianity is growing. Persecution comes. Remember what Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, he said, uh, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit, wait for the Holy Spirit and when the Holy Spirit has come, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and what? To the ends of the earth. And so we see this playing out here. Initially, they're the witnesses in Jerusalem and Christianity is, is moving. And then we see uh, it moves to Judea. With this persecution, the Christians flee the city. It's either that or get your head chopped off. So they, they go into Judea, they go into Samaria, and then they go into uh, the ends of the earth beyond Samaria. Uh, and, and the book of Acts is telling that story. So, so where we are now is we're starting right here with a little circle, uh, but we're going to move into Judea and Samaria. That's what's happening right now. It's really, really cool, I think, because you think about the, the fact that Christianity was started by a handful of men and women, 100 so disciples, and it just goes. It goes, it spreads throughout the whole world. Before the internet, <laughs> before FaceTime, it just goes viral. Uh, by boat and letters, and it's, it's an incredible story. Let's keep reading. Uh, verse 4, it says this. This is where we meet Philip now. Those who had been scattered, so think of seed being scattered. So they didn't just run and hide scattered. They scattered and they preached the word wherever they went. So it wasn't a scattering because they were scared and hiding. They actually left Jerusalem and, and was telling people about Jesus. Have you heard about Jesus? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the Saviour. So they scatter and they, tell, uh, they, they, they share the word or preach the word wherever they went. Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ or Jesus Christ there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they all paid close attention to what he said. So they saw what he did, and, and because they saw what, they, what he did, he then, they listened to what he said. They paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks of evil and uh, uh, spirits came out of many, and many paralytic and lame people were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So they're not in Jerusalem, not in Judea, they're in Samaria. They're into that second, third kind of area now. Philip is preaching the gospel. Now, do you remember the relationship? Most people here probably do know the relationship between the Jew 
and the Samaritan. Uh, the Samaritans, or the, the, uh, the top part of the, the kingdom of Israel, or the nation of Israel, were taken captive by the Assyrians. Uh, I think there was 10, 10 of the tribes, or maybe not 10, but a large chunk of the, those tribes were taken by the Assyrians. They, they then interbreeded with the, the Jewish people, and, and not only did they interbreed like as in relationally, but also so ethnic, ethnically, but also religious. They brought their own religious things in, and there was this kind of blend between Judaism and, and their kind of uh, worship. But all, and so, so they kind of became, they were like these half-breeds. The Jewish people saw the, the people of Samaria as half-breeds in religion. They had their own temple. Now, the Samaritans, they, didn't, uh, they only followed the first five book, books of the Old Testament. They didn't want anything else to do with the Old Testament. And so there's this strong hatred between the people of Jerusalem. There's a link there. They were tethered to Jerusalem. They were tethered to Jerusalem, but there was also a pushing away. And so Philip's there preaching the gospel. And they're responding to it. And I love that bit there. It says there was, there was great joy in that city. Why? Why was there great joy? Because the Eagles had won against Collingwood? No. Because of the gospel. The gospel brought great joy. The gospel is goodness. So much so that they're, they're, they're celebrating. We could almost miss that line. Oh, 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 you know, we love the line about the evil spirits coming out and all that. But, but there is great joy in that city because people respond to the gospel. Yes, because people who couldn't walk could now walk. People who were demon-possessed are no longer demon-possessed. But more so because they responded to the word and the teaching of Philip. They responded to Jesus. And where the good news is preached and proclaimed and people respond, there is great joy. There is great joy. Why? Because the good news is goodness. And so we see this, uh, this great joy. Quick little side note on Philip. Philip's a good dude. Um, we don't, he doesn't get as much court time as uh, Peter and, and, uh, and Paul and, and some of the others, but Philip is a good dude. And in fact, Philip is the only, only person in the New Testament uh, as described as being an evangelist. Acts 21.8 says, Philip the evangelist. Nowhere else does it say, uh, you know, Paul the evangelist, even though he was an evangelist, but Philip is, is that's his kind of on his business card, Philip the evangelist. And, and Philip uh, is an incredible he goes around telling people about Jesus. That's what he does. And also, he doesn't have any bias or prejudice. He could have just kept running. I'm running through Samaria. They're half-breeds. They, they don't, they don't, you know, they're not going to grab this Christianity stuff anyway. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He kind of bridges the gap here. And he shares the gospel with them. He, he challenges those prejudices. We see that in the life of Jesus, don't we? If we know the story of Jesus well, most people would never go through, uh, go to Samaria because, they're, again, they're half-breeds. But Jesus sat with them, he ate with them, he preached to them. We see it here with Philip. And they respond. They respond. I think, I think if you are trying to figure out some applications here, because remember, I wasn't going to give you any, there's probably something there. In that, uh, there's, no, there's no place for racism or classism or sexism or any other ism that you want in, in the gospel. Paul says, Jew, Gentile, male, female, the gospel is for everyone. The good news is for everyone. And we may not even know it, but we probably have some prejudices and some bias uh, that stop us from proclaiming the gospel. Maybe we just even subconsciously, we, we don't share the gospel or live the gospel or we have prejudice towards a, a certain people group or, 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 or person or, or where they live or how much they earn or the colour of their skin. Or, and, and, and that's not in the gospel. That's, not, that's the opposite of goodness. And therefore, it's not good news. But we don't see that in Philip. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. If, I, if you're doing a series on Netflix, you'd probably stop it here and make people wait six months before you continue uh, the next season. Um, but here, here, here it is. Look what happens here in verse 9. It says, Now, for some time, we're introduced to a new character. 
For some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery. Turn to the person next to you and say, sorcery. I love that word, sorcery. (laughs) Had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. Don't you love those people? He boasted that he was someone great. And all the people, both high and low, so all, everyone from rich to poor, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is divine, has, is a divine power known as the great power. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his magic. Verse 12 says, but when they believed Philip, so Philip comes along. Simon's been working this gig for a while. Philip comes along. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the good news, the good news of goodness, the good news of Jesus, the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the people were what? Baptized, both men and women. And then interesting here, it says in verse 13, Simon himself believed and was baptized. We'll come to that in a sec. And he followed Philip everywhere. That sounds like, like he followed Philip like a bad smell, astonished, that's what it says in the Greek anyway, uh, followed Philip like a bad smell, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. Now there's a hint there to, to, to Simon's heart. He wasn't astonished by the words that he heard about this Jesus, he was astonished by what? The signs and the miracles that he saw. Earlier we read that they saw these miracles and therefore they what? They listened. But, but Simon here, he's following Philip. Get away from me, mate. Like a, because he, he wants something. And we'll, we'll come to that in a second. So, so here's a principle, again, not an application point, just a principle uh, to get you thinking. And I, I think this is a biblical principle, which we see quite often through Scripture, that, that wherever God sows, uh, and wherever God sows, we, we see true believers, and when God sows, and there are true believers, guess who else sows? Satan, the devil. So wherever God sows, and there's true believers, Satan will also sow, and what he sows is a counterfeit. What, what, the, what Satan sows is, is fake, it's not real. And sometimes we think that the, what Satan's going to bring is this, this real kind of thing. Um, did you get that, what I mean by that? Just this real kind of evil looking, but generally it's, it's a little bit like the truth, but just not the truth. And therefore he, he deceives you, kind of like what he did with Eve and Adam. He, he, it wasn't, Rah! it was, oh, did God really say that? I thought he said this. And so, so where God sows and there's true believers, guess what? Watch out because Satan will sow and there'll be counterfeits. And we're foolish to think that doesn't happen today in the church. That's why God, uh, Paul and Jesus, through the, through the Scriptures, sorry, the Spirit, talk about being on your guard, talk about shepherds who, who to protect and oversight the body of believers, because there will be counterfeits that aren't from God, that aren't from the Spirit of God. We see it in the life of Jesus. Did Jesus have a counterfeit on his team? What was his name? Judas, it's always the accountants. No, it's not, I shouldn't say that. Because <laughs> he was the guy who looked after the books. And he was also the guy who then portrayed Jesus for 30 bits of silver. Wow. So even Jesus had a, a counterfeit on his team. Why? Because he, that God sowed true believers, but the enemy comes in and sows counterfeits. We see it in the, uh, the Apostle Paul's life. We see it throughout church history. In fact, Jesus tells a parable about it. He says that the, that the Son of Man sowed seed, and, and that seed bore great fruit, bared great fruit. It was wheat. But then the Son of this world also sowed seed, and that was weeds. And there will be a, a judgment one day, and, and the weeds will be pulled out from the wheat. And so there will be counterfeits among us. The other thing is, when we look at Simon, uh, he, he's kind of worshipped like God. It says that he's a great power, that men and women are kind of, doesn't say they worshipped him, but they praised him, they followed him, and they were amazed. Now, what was that? Was it just so because he could pull a rabbit out of a hat, or 
you know, what was he doing there? Now, it may have been trickery, it may have been magic, but probably is a little bit more than that. See, we, we don't necessarily think about the supernatural or uh, it's probably a demonic kind of uh, teamwork with Simon. You think of the story of Moses, uh, Pharaoh's sorcerers were, were performing similar things that Moses could do. So the enemy is real. Uh, I was sharing uh, with one of my daughters as we were driving home last night, and I was sharing a bit about this sermon, and I had to keep waking her up for some reason as I was sharing this. And she says, is that stuff real? You know, the sorcerer stuff, you know, is it real? Is it like Harry Potter? You know, and, and actually, yeah, it's real. Do we believe it? We're in a, there's a spiritual realm, and the Bible says that our battle is against the, uh, the powers, the principalities of this world, the spiritual. It's a spiritual battle. And actually, it's, it's actually really bad. There is demonic forces and sorcery and the occult. And it's not, it's not, it doesn't want good things for you. It's not goodness. It might counterfeit you and say, hey, here is good, taste this, but it's not. It's bad and it's dangerous. And, and actually, the Word of God says we're to avoid it. Not necessarily fear it. We don't fear it because greater is he that is in you that is in the world, but we're to avoid it and it's real. And so this guy, Simon, is, he's, he's, he's doing things that would amaze people. Look at this passage here in Second uh, Thessalonians. It says this, the, uh, it's talking about the, 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 the time that we live in, basically. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. How does Satan work? Well, this is how Satan works. He will use all sorts of, of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie. So, so the enemy can pr- perform sign and wonders. And people go, wow, this guy must be the amazing one. And that's what's happening here with, with Simon. And the thing about this is the people were amazed at Simon. The people were amazed at Philip. And what did they do? They what? Listened to him. So they would be amazed at Simon. And what do you think they would do to Simon? Listen to him. Do you think Simon had a lot of power? Absolutely. Simon had power. Guarantee it. When he walked into the village or the town, people would flock to him. If he would say, do this, do that, they would do it because he was the the spiritual man and therefore he had power. But look at the contrast between him, Simon the sorcerer, and Philip. Uh, Power, where does Philip's power come from? Well, we read here it's from God or the Holy Spirit. Where does um, Simon the sorcerer's power come from? Probably Satan and maybe a few of his own tricks, card tricks and some balloon tricks, but probably Satan. Glorify. When, when, when Philip is doing these miracles or preaching this, this stuff, who is he glorifying? He's glorifying God. Who is Simon the sorcerer glorifying? Himself. So here's the application. But I'm not going to give it to you. Or the good question to ask when you're thinking or engaging and listening to material. Uh, especially of the spiritual nature or, or, or Bible commentators or, or preachers. Oh, preachers, we can, we can sound really good. Man, I can have a crowd eating out of my hand. I can act like I'm really spiritual. And you guys may even believe it. But here's the question. Who is it glorifying? If it's glorifying them or me or myself or even you in your own walkings, then it's not from God. Now, God may still use it, but it's not from God. If it's glorifying God, then it is. So that's probably a good little application there, or even a lit, 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 litmus test. A good little litmus test. Is this, who's this glorifying? What is, now, we're all human, and we, we make mistakes, and Part of me loves it when you say it was a great sermon. Now, my desire is to preach the gospel. And so everyone, we get that. But for us, the litmus test is, what is this, who is this glorifying? Who's getting the glory for this? That's, that's the question that, that we should be asking. Shall we keep reading? Let's keep reading. Verse 14 says this um, up here on the screen. There it is, verse 14. 
This is, this is where it gets really, really good. Uh, I'm glad you guys are excited. Verse 14 says, When the apostles in Jerusalem, so some of the apostles were still in Jerusalem, remember, back at head base, you could say, or headquarters, they heard that Samaria, what? Samaria had accepted the word of God. That's exactly what they did. That's exactly what they would have thought. Wow! The apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God. What do they do? They sent in the big guns. They sent Peter and John to them. Now, this is really interesting. Uh, when they arrived, they prayed for them. Who did they pray for? The Christians in Samaria. But what's going on here? They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. They had simply been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't that really interesting? This, this may be one of those little bits of the Bible that you kind of, you might read, but you think, oh, it's really hard to explain. Because I thought that when you become a Christian, uh, you are baptised in the Spirit. That when you become a Christian, uh, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, takes up residence in you. You are now a temple because God lives inside it. That's what I thought. Hang on, why, why have these guys and girls, why did they have to wait for Peter and John to come uh, uh, to Samaria, Samaria and lay hands they had to be the dispensers of the, the Spirit. Why? I don't know. A few different things. There's a few different things that you can believe of this. Now, our Catholics brothers and sisters and our Pentecostal brothers and sisters have a slightly different understanding of this passage, or they may draw from this passage in regards to some of their theology. The question when we're looking at this interesting passage is, um, is it two stages or one? So the two stages here is that they believed, baptised, then they got laid hands on, and then they received the Holy Spirit. Or is it that you believe and you receive the Holy Spirit? Now, Catholic uh, theology or tradition will say that you uh, are baptised as an infant, and you get... It's kind of like the, the vaccine program. You need two shots, two boosters. So you get, when you get baptised as, as an infant you receive this, the, the Spirit kind of in waiting. And then you have a confirmation when you're a little bit older and the priest does his thing and then you get your full booster, Holy Spirit. And so that's kind of built around this part of this passage. Now, some Pentecostal uh, traditions or streams uh, wouldn't say that, but they would say that you would have to have a, a pastor or a Pentecostal leader pray that you would be baptised in the Spirit, that you would be able to receive the Spirit. And, and that would be manifested in, in, in signs and wonders as well. Is that what's going on here? Probably not, I don't think. And you can do your own study. But, but sometimes we can... Uh, one, of the, one of the things when it comes to studying the Bible is... The danger is you can, you can draw out a theology f from one line of scripture or one story or one encounter. Is this the exception or the rule? Well, probably here it's the exception. And there's a bit of explaining here as well, because what is actually going on, which most scholars would probably lean towards, is this, that the Christians in Samaria had to understand that the root of their, their um, Christianity comes from Jerusalem. That, that, that breakdown between Jerusalem and Samaria, because they were all part of the, the, the tribes. And so the fact that Peter and John go there, it says this, the Samaritans did not receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when they believed. It was necessary for the apostle Peter and John to come from Jerusalem to put hands and impart the Holy Spirit on them. Why? Because it was this uniting now, the Samaritans and Jerusalem's Christians, the Jewish church. It's one church. And if you can remember, Jesus says to Peter, uh, and again, <laughs> we're going into some 
the Catholics hold on to this a bit as well. But if you can remember, Jesus said to Peter, you, I'm going to give you the keys. Remember that? The keys to the church? Some of you guys have got keys to this church. It's not necessarily a great job. You have to stay. You have to do the lockup. But Peter had the keys to the church. And, and you, look at the, you look what Peter does. Remember that diagram of the yellow things? The first 10 chapters of Acts are kind of a transition period. Peter, who's the first guy to preach the gospel? Peter. And what happens in Jerusalem? Pentecost, thousands of people become Christians. Here in Samaria, Philip uh, preaches and they become Christians. But then who comes up and, and lays hands on and, and so they can receive the Holy Spirit? Peter comes up and does that. And then you're going to see in a little while, so we're going Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth is the Gentiles, which is us. Who has a dream about not having to eat kosher foods and can connect with Gentiles? Who's the guy that has the dream? Peter. So Peter is ushering in all three of those kind of movements outward. And then from uh, chapter 10 on, we see this common way people believe and they're baptised in the Holy Spirit, meaning they receive the Holy Spirit and then they get baptised symbolically by water baptism. So it's belief, receive the Spirit and being baptised, water baptism. Nowhere else do we then see some people coming and having to lay hands on so that you would receive the Spirit. And the reason why I think also is it sets up a really interesting power dynamic. And we see this in Simon. The danger of that only a few people are the dispensers. You need to come to this person to receive the Holy Spirit. They have the power now, we might not do that in our terms today, but we have other things. This certain preacher has the power, has the anointing, and if you want it, you need to sit under his teaching or her teaching. Or you need to do this, you need to do the Daniel diet, or you need to do this special thing, because this is new and it's a secret. This is the danger here. And look what Simon does. That's exactly what Simon the sorcerer does. When Simon saw that the Spirit... Let's read it from the, the Word of God here. When Simon saw that the Spirit was, was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, I just had this funny picture there, the apostles sanitizing their hands before they, just because if it was COVID, that's what they would have done. But anyway, laying of the apostles' hands, he, he offered them money. Simon says, hey, hey, mate, do you want some money? Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. He wants to what? He wants to be a dispenser of the Holy Spirit. He's like, we need to franchise this. I want a piece of this. I'm going to lose all my followers. I'm going to lose my status, my power. People aren't going to listen to me anymore. I need to be able to do this. Can you see where this is going now? You see how, how this is, and we see it today in different forms, how this is the opposite of goodness. This is where spiritual abuse comes from, where one person holds the spiritual power and everyone will listen to them and everyone will do what they say because if they don't, that person's from God. Why, how could we disagree with them? Give me also this ability that everyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you. I love the way he speaks there. This is really strong words. I would have just said, get stuff. He's like, may your money perish with you because you have thought you could buy, buy the gift of God with money. You know, throughout church history, uh, churches have basically set up ways that you can buy your way to heaven indulgences, have you heard of that? People would, and, and, and think of it, we, we might think of the people buying them as being silly, but when, when the, the church says, with all its power and all its might, says, if you don't buy this, your family member will, will, will burn in hell. If you don't buy this, or if you don't buy this, you will burn in hell. You're going to do that, aren't you? You're going to buy it. 
because you don't want to burn in hell. You don't want your family met while they're funding a new church building. That's, why, that's where indulgences kind of originated from. It was, a, it was a church building program. Maybe we'll try that here for two-court expansion. Uh, but, but that's the abuse of that power. They speak on behalf of God. Wow, we need to do this. You can't buy it. The gospel is free. The gospel is free. You don't pay for the gospel. It's good news. It's goodness. This guy here, old uh, Simon the, the sorcerer, uh, wants to buy it. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry. Now, did he become a Christian? Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We, that's open for discussion. I'd probably err on the side of the fact that he didn't. Um, you have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to, Lord, to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. Uh, it wasn't just in his head, it was in his heart. It was, it, that says it was oozing out of him. It's his, it's his character. Uh, for I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. So, so look what Simon does. This again reveals his heart. He doesn't say, all right, I'm, he doesn't say, let's pray, I'm, I'm going to pray and repent. He says, you pray for me. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. When they had testified, they just ignore him. Uh, <laughs> pray for yourself. When they have testified and proclaimed the word of the Lord, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many Samaritan villages. What a great little story. I don't know what applications you've got out of that. Simon offers money to purchase power so he can be the dispenser of the Holy Spirit. That's free. There's no dispensers. We don't need someone else to intercede on our behalf. We've got that. We've got that. That's Jesus. He's the great interceder. He's the great uh, one who goes before us. Uh, and, 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 and again, we see this danger. Peter goes off at him. The desire for power is powerful, isn't it? Whether it be politics, whether it be in communities, whether it be in religious communities, the desire for power is powerful. When I was thinking of, uh, let, me, let me finish by saying this. Have you seen those um, old school retic systems, not the electronic ones, the one where you, you hook it up to the tap but it has three or four hoses and you can change where it goes? What do you call that? Retic, old school retic system. Um, and, and you turn on the water, but you can choose where the water flows. That's kind of how I, I, I saw a picture of Simon wanting, he wanted to have all, he could say, you can have some, you can have some, mm -mm. you're not having any. Oh, unless you give me. Can you see how that, again, breeds abuse? And we've got to guard against that. You know, and and how, do, how does that happen in our society? Well, sometimes people can uh, bring you a word from God. And I'm all for people bringing words of God. But people can abuse that and say, God told me this. Well, then you test it. Test it. Go to the Word. Go to the Scriptures. Pray about it. Ask other people. We, we can be spiritually, uh, spiritually manipulated or abused for this type of... And, and right at the beginning, we see that goodness pushes against that. Let me finish with this. I'll ask the band to come up. Um, my last bit of application. Personal power. Simon the sorcerer wanted what? He wanted to buy the gift of the Spirit. His understanding of the Holy Spirit uh, was, again, not different... To, to some of us sometimes. What is that? That the Holy Spirit is a power. And so I want more power in my life, I need to get more what? More Holy Spirit. And so if I get more Holy Spirit, I'll have more power. And if I get more power, I can get rid of some suffering in my life, my financial burdens, my, my decision-making. Uh, I can integrate the Holy Spirit and His power in my life and I can overcome and I can be a, a victory person. Um, we, when we view the Holy Spirit as power, that's where it goes. 
Simon the sorcerer viewed the Holy Spirit as power. The Holy Spirit is not power. The Holy Spirit is a person. You might think, you know, you're just you know, playing on words. No, it's, it's quite different. The Holy Spirit is a person. We tend to think of the Father as a person. We, we, we think of Jesus as a person because we can see. Holy Spirit is like Casper, kind of this ghost. Maybe that's where we get it from, the Holy Ghost. And so it's kind of this, oh, it's a power. No, the Holy Spirit is a person. And so, so we shouldn't be asking the question, how much power can I get from the Holy Spirit? The question is, how much uh, am I going to allow the Holy Spirit to use me? What relationship do I have with the Holy Spirit? Because it's the Holy Spirit that lives in us. Now we know the Holy Spirit is God, and that's a hard concept, Trinity, but we're not, we're not going into that. But the Holy Spirit is a person. And we want, to, we want our relationship to grow with the Holy Spirit. We don't come to just receive, give me power, give me power. You know, throughout the, the New Testament, uh, we see that the, when the Holy Spirit comes, there's an uh, anticipation. The people of God are waiting expectantly. Then we see a manifestation. The Holy Spirit comes like, and it's incredible. There's speaking in tongues. There's a roof shaking and incredible things happen. And they don't say, oh, do that again. They don't say, shake it. It was great. We, we always see, we see anticipation, manifestation, and then we see, we see mobilization. The Holy Spirit go, uh, makes them go out. And what do they share? The gospel. We are people of the good news, people of goodness. Everyone stand and I'll pray. Father, thank you for this story, this encounter of, of the good news. Thank you for the Philip the Evangelist, Lord. We're going to hear from him uh, next week as well with the Ethiopian. Lord, thank you for his testimony. Lord, thank you uh, for, for the fact that we can come and read your word and, Lord, that your spirit will open our eyes and hearts, Father. Father, may we be people who uh, share the good news. Uh, Father, may you open our prejudices or our biases towards race or, or classism or sexism in our own lives and also in, in, in our life as a church. We, the gospel is for everyone, Father. And Father, may we be aware that there is a spiritual battle going on, that we wouldn't be afraid of that, but we wouldn't be naive to it either, Lord. Father, may we um, be people who follow you, who serve you. Holy Spirit, we, we ask that you would uh, empower us to live the gospel, to share the gospel, to proclaim the gospel so that your name would be glorified. Not ours, not lakesides, but your name. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen.